Praise God. And you can open up in your Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 4, over verse 35. Max Licato in his book, The Eye of the Storm, tells the story of Chippy the parakeet. And he writes this, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next he was sucked in, washed up, blown over. The problem began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. Well, she gasped and put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag and there was Chippy. Still alive, but a bit stunned. Well, the bird was all covered with dust and soot, so she grabbed him and raced into the bathroom, turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water, then realized that Chippy was soaked and shivering. She did what any compassionate burn owner would do. She reached for the hair dryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, the reporter who initially written about the event contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. It's hard not to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest of hearts. <laughs> well, hopefully, things in life have not sucked you in, washed you out, blown you over. You're not like Chippy and lost your song. You're still going on. We're going to look at some folks who faced some things that tried to wash them out, blow them over, and such things of that nature. As the disciples faced the storm, but we're looking at this from the uh, perspective of hope. Verse 35, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, Who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Very familiar story to us. Remember our text verse for this is Hebrews 10.23. I wrote this in your outline so that you had it there for you again. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without what? Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So let's take a look at this story from the perspective of hope. Hope, as we said, is always future. Hope is not present or past. Faith can work on things past, present, and future, but hope is always future. And so the faith associated with anything on our hope is always for something that is coming. He says to the disciples, let us cross over to the other side. Is that hope? It's future, isn't it? They haven't crossed over yet. This is what they're, they're going to do. So really, as we look at this story, the hope that they have is to cross over to the other side. That's where they're heading to. Now what could we classify thoughts that are contrary to that? Because some thoughts came that were contrary to crossing over to the other side. Didn't they have some contrary thoughts to that? And they come down and get Jesus and they said, 
we're almost there. Get ready, we're almost to the other side. Now they said, don't you care that we're perishing? So we could say that thoughts that are contrary to this hope would be wavering thoughts. We can get out there and begin to waver. Well, I'm not sure if we're going to make it to the other side. We, weren't, we didn't really know this storm was coming up here. Here's this, here's this storm that comes in. And we titled this Misdirected Hope because sometimes we have a hope and we start off okay, but then it got misdirected. Things came in and they began to, instead of going in the direction that God wanted us to go, we're going in a different direction now. And it just alters us off a little bit. And then it alters us off a little bit more. And then it alters us off a little bit more. How do you remember the movie Apollo 13? And as you're going through the, the, the uh, discourse there, they begin to talk about how bringing that Apollo ship home and how they had to hit just the right spot in the atmosphere. And if you were off by just a little bit, it was, it was done. You were either going to uh, come in too shallow or you're going to come in too hard. One way would have you bounce off the atmosphere and the other way would have you burn up in the atmosphere. Neither way is good. And they, I remember in the movie, when we were watching this, they used the example that it's basically, and he held up a, a, a sphere there, a globe, and he held up a piece of paper. And it says it's basically trying to hit a mark this thin. And you had to do it without computers. So they really had a task in front of them. They had to get to that small little area there. And so any little bit of a wavering, a little too much, a little too, too less, is going to get you off course, and you're not going to hit it right. Well, he says, let's cross over to the other side. And thoughts begin to come into their head that begin to alter their hope. Their hope is always, we're crossing over to the other side. Because Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side. They have the word of Jesus on this. Let's cross over to the other side. But as they get going, they hit a storm. Now, these some of the disciples are fishermen. A storm does not scare them. They've seen storms before. They've been through storms before. Storms are not a big deal. So they begin to face the storm the same way they have done so before. Still with the idea, we're crossing over to the other side. But then, as they begin to go through this... Eh, it's not quite coming together the way that it should. And they get to the point where they come to Jesus and say, don't you care that we're perishing? Some things had to happen in between there. We want to take a look at some of the stuff that went on between. Let's take a look at some of the replacements here. I'll bet you one of the things that they thought, and this is a, a thing that came into them. Now you tell me if you think they thought it. Is as Jesus was sleeping and they're heading over to the other side in the ship and the storm comes up, I bet you they had the thought, we can navigate through this storm. Wouldn't you think that if you were a fisherman and you'd been on that sea many times and many a time a sudden storm had risen up? Uh, we can navigate through this. This is not a big deal. We've been through this before. We can navigate through the storm. And so we have the hope of, let us get over to the other side. And now we have this one, which is just slightly misdirected. Let us navigate through it. Let's find a way that we can get through it. And as they begin to navigate through it, it's not quite working out the way they had hoped to. And so they begin to do something else. And they, as the water comes in, they begin to bail it out. And I think what they begin to think is, we can bail out the water from the waves. And we can still keep going to the other side. But we can bail out the water from these. The waves come in, but we got 12 guys here. And we got some buckets. We can bail out the water. We can, we can do this. But at some point, somewhere along the line, the people who were fishermen, who'd faced storms before, who had buckets and were bailing out water, 
got to a point where they realized we're not navigating through this and the water is coming in faster than we can put it out and we're losing the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but I know for myself, anytime that there is a lack of success, questions come. And Have you ever faced that? Any lack of success produces questions. The really easy way to see this is in any sports team. How many questions come out when you win the game? How many times do we say, oh, that coach, oh, that quarterback, oh, that whoever, whatever position the person. How many times do we say that? Oh, that pitcher. Can you believe he did that? How many times do we question that? We don't question it at all. But if you lose, what happens? Oh, I can't believe he pulled the pitcher then. Why did he pull the pitcher? He was doing so well. Oh, why did he swing at that pitch? Why did he throw the ball there? Didn't he see that guy? We have questions that come up. Anytime there's a lack of success, we have questions. Put it to you in another area, outside the sports arena. How many of you took a job because you felt God told you to take that job? And everything was going just fine until a problem arose. And then what happened? Didn't we say, why did I take this job? I don't even like this job. Why did I take this job? I thought God led me here. God must not have led me to this job. I don't know. How many of you bought a house, rented an apartment, felt good about it? Felt good about buying the house? Felt good about renting the apartment? And you took the thing and everything is going fine until one of the neighbors knocks on the door and says something, does something. And then another neighbor. And then all kinds of other stuff begins to go on. And you begin to have questions. A lack of success produces questions in our lives. And these questions, when they come in, they can begin to alter our hope. And they can begin to misdirect a little bit. Because when the questions come in, we begin to look for other answers. Now, it's easy for us to stand back and, and you know point our fingers at the disciples and say, You should have just said, we're going to the other side. That's what you should have just said. But they didn't do it. And it's easy for us to be on the armchair and, and sit there and, and point the finger. Just like, you know, the Monday morning quarterbacks are all there knowing what they should have done. Knowing how they should have done it. Knowing when they should have and when they shouldn't have. We all know better than they did. No. Questions come out. Here's some questions they may have been asking. Why isn't Jesus helping? We've got 12 guys here. We're all working as hard as we can. It was Jesus' idea to get to the other side. We were perfectly content over there. I mean, we were having a good meeting. People were coming. Why is it we had to go to the other side now? John, you didn't, have the, you, you didn't think we should go. No, I thought we should stay over there. Peter might chime in. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't all for this thing. And, and Jesus, he's the one who wanted to go. And there he is sleeping. Questions begin to come up. You begin to become a little distrustful of uh, of things. Why isn't Jesus helping? Maybe the question might have come up, why do we have to cross now? Why don't we just wait for the storm to pass? Shouldn't Jesus have known to wait? Shouldn't Jesus have known the storm was coming? Why did He say, let us go over to the other side now? There was no urgency. We didn't have to leave. We were doing just fine. Questions can come up. Would any of these questions have come up if the storm hadn't been there? If they had just sailed on a cross and got to the other side? Would the questions have come up? Would anybody be asking any of these things? If the quarterback throws an interception and you lose the game, people ask questions about that. If you win the game, we don't ask questions. We say, boy, even though we threw that interception, we still won the game. 
Even though we threw that ball, they hit a home run, we still won the game. But it all becomes a question. We do the same thing on our own lives. You know, you, you, you married someone you thought God told you to marry. You bought a dog or a cat you thought God told you to buy. You took a job you thought God said to take. You moved into a place you thought God said to move into. And then the problems come in. And what do you say? You begin to ask questions. You wouldn't have been asking these questions if everything was going good. Storms cause us to ask questions. Why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? And once they do, answers can come up. They're not God answers, but they're answers. Well, you never should have taken this job to begin with. Well, they should have promoted you and you shouldn't be even in this department right now. And we can get all kinds of answers to questions that really shouldn't have been asked. We simply go back to what did God say? Now, you can't do this with everything, but if God gives you direction and God gives you a hope and you have godly hope on a thing, then you hang on to that godly hope. You don't let it go. If God gave you the word, marry that person. Then for the rest of your life, you hang on to that hope. You don't let any questions come in otherwise. You stay on with it. If God said, buy that dog. If God said, take that job. Move into that place. Then you hang on to it. Now, if God didn't say it and you did it on your own, then maybe you need to question some things. But we're talking about godly hope. We're talking about a hope that God put in you. He put the, He dropped that in you. You know this came from God. This came from God. You know it. And you're hanging on to that. I didn't put this in your outline, but pull this up on the screen if you would. Psalm 119 and verse 165. Psalm 119, 165. You can write it down and that way you'll have it for later on. Great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace have those who love your law. We need to fall in love with the law of God. We need to fall in love with the hope that we get from that. And if we do, we will not stumble. We won't have that problem of some hope coming up, some misdirected hope, some leading us in some place that we don't need to be in. We've got to hold fast. So understand that there is a godly hope that may have gotten put down on the inside of you for any of these things that we mentioned. But along the way, problems will arise. When problems arise, questions follow. When questions follow, be careful of the answers. Because that can corrupt the hope that you have. That can misdirect you and go into a different, different place than you should have. And then all kinds of problems can come up. Well, let's take a look at this story some more. We know that the disciples and Jesus are in a boat. We know the boat is on the sea. And we know that the sea is being pounded by wind and waves. Let's take a look at what this all represents to us. The boat in our story here represents the church. We all get inside and we get into the church. And the, the idea is the sea is the world. We don't want to become part of the world. As the Word of God tells us, or actually um, the Word of God teaches us this, but the president from the college I went to up in New York, the King's College, he used to always, always talk about this. He said, how in the world are you? <laughs> what a great statement it was. Boy, it got you thinking, how in the world are you? We're in the world, but not of it. We're called to be in this world, but not of this world. How in the world are you? Boy, too often we're in the sea. We're supposed to be in the boat. There's supposed to be separation between us and the sea. And when there's not a separation, 
as in this story, there's a problem. <laughs> when there's not separation between the sea and the boat, how many of y'all know that's an issue? We want separation here. They were in the sea, but not of the sea. If they were of the sea, then they wouldn't die when you got in the sea. You're part of it. I'll put this in your outline too for you. If you get into a boat, you better prepared, come prepared to get wet. <laughs> you ever see some of those rides at uh, the uh, amusement parks? Not, just, not water parks. You go into a water park, you expect to get wet, right? At least you better. But you go into some of the parks in the, the amusement parks, they have some uh, parks on the, on the dry side that they'll have a sign there, you will get wet. If you go on this ride, you will get wet. How many of you know those flumes? They don't put the flumes on the wet side. They put the flume on the dry side. And you can see the people coming off the flume, how wet you're going to get. <laughs> you know, they've got, got that big old boat. They put you in, they take you all on around the stuff. And then it drops you down like a roller coaster. And you land in the water. And just sprays water all out in the, in the place. Now, I love water rides. I despise being on a ride when I'm in clothes, a water ride when I'm in clothes. I don't like it. I don't like my shoes wet. I don't like my clothes wet. If I'm going to get wet, I'm going to put on a bathing suit and I'm going to go on the water ride. But I don't like flume rides. So when we go to the parks, and the rest of the family, they go on the flume. I stay off. And then the rest of the family, they're just, they're just crazy people. I don't know why God had me marrying just such crazy people, but... They're all just crazy people. They not only go on the flume ride, but then they come out, you know, they have the bridge that goes over the flume. And they have that wall of water that comes from the flume. And just if you didn't get totally wet on the flume, you will get wet on the bridge. And they come on out and they're dripping and they talk about how much fun they had and how good it was. And I'm dry. And I'm saying, glory to God. <laughs> I was made to be dry. When I'm wearing sneakers, shorts, and a cotton t-shirt. Cotton doesn't dry real fast. You don't want to get that wet. So I don't uh, generally go on those. Other people do. And that's why they make them. You've got to prepare to get wet. Sometimes you need to get into a boat. And you've got to know, well, we're going to get wet on this. But that's all right. We're going to stay in the boat. And we're going to stay separated from the sea. When you go and you have are sailing on the sea, and all you have is that hope. We are going to the other side. Because who said so? Jesus said. Didn't Jesus say so? Let us go to the other side? Let's go back to Hebrews 10.23 again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Who promised? Jesus did. Is he faithful? Yes. Are we going to get to the other side? Yes. Yeah. So the boats in the world. Take a look at some verses here. John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you, may, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. What will you have in the world? Tribulation. tribulation. You will have tribulation. Just because you are following after the hope that God gave you. And you have encountered problems along the way. It doesn't mean you missed it. It doesn't mean you begin to need to ask the question, what happened? Why is this going on? I don't necessarily need to do that. Did the disciples do anything wrong to cause a storm to come upon the boat? No. 
They were fine. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. If we interpret this in light of our story, we can say it this way. On the sea, you will have storms. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the storms. <laughs> I've overcome them. Don't you worry about it. We're okay. In the world, you will have tribulation. That means in relationships, there will be problems. It doesn't mean the relationship was not from God. When you move into an apartment or a house and you have neighbors, you may have problems. You may encounter some goofy people. It's okay. In the world, you'll have tribulation. They will come. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It doesn't even mean you moved to the wrong place. How many of you would like to know, where is that neighborhood where there are no nutty people? Where is that neighborhood? I'd like to find that one. No nutty people at all. Well, as soon as you, you moved in there, there'd be one. <laughs> right? I mean, come on, we're all nutty to somebody. <laughs> we're not nutty to ourselves, but we're nutty to somebody. <laughs> John chapter 17, verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the, in the world, that they may have joy and fulfill themselves. This is what he's done. He's leaving the world, but he says, they're still staying in the world. I'm praying for them. They're still in the world. They're still going to have the waves. They're still going to have the wind. They're still going to have the storms that come against them. Tribulation will still come to them because they are in the world. As long as we are part of the world, we will have tribulation. It does not mean that as long as you missed it, as long as you followed after a wrong hope, as long as you took a wrong turn, then you'll have storms. You don't have to have that. Just because you are in the world, there will be problems that will come. But Jesus says, don't you worry about it. Don't you lose heart. I have overcome the world. Verse 13 says in John 17, But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. Even though tribulation, even though persecution, even though problems arise, God still wants us to be joyful. Don't lose your joy. Hang on to that. John chapter 15, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know why people don't like you? Because you're not of the world. If you were of the world, they would like you. But because you're not of the world, guess what? They don't like you. For no other reason than you're not of the world. They don't like the fact that you honor and revere Jesus. That you love His Word that you obey His Word, that you go after Him. They don't like that. They want you to be carnal and corrupt like they are. They feel better about that. John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your Word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He's not praying that we get out of this world. He's not saying, you know what? Take them out of the storm. Take them off the sea. Put them on a nice dry land somewhere, a nice island with sandy beaches and palm trees. And He's not saying that. He says you're going to be in the world. You're going to be around worldly people. 
But they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You are not of this world. You will not get your hope from this world. They will not feed the hope that God has given you. They won't go help you in that direction. If you got that hope that God told you to marry that person and problems begin to arise, you go talk to people that are of the world, what do they say? Well, get rid of them. You know, just put them to the side. You don't need that anymore. Get rid of it. That's the world. What's God say? What did I tell you before? Stick with it. Stay with it. Hold on to that. You go take a job. You know God told you. Take that job. And problems come up. There's worldly people in the job. There's worldly people around the job. <laughs> you don't like some of those folks that are in there. They're driving you crazy. What do you say? God, you told me to take this job. You told me to take this job. I'm hanging on to this job because you told me to take it. I'm not only here because you said, take that job. Do that job. That's what I'm doing. I told you the story I had, one of the jobs I had down in Oklahoma. Got into that thing because God said, that's where you work. That's where you'd work. Only place I applied. And after one week in there, it was nasty. Worldly, I've never seen worldly people. I had never seen worldly people like this, like I saw in that job. Ever. In my entire life. They shocked me. Worldly as you could get. Trading drugs out behind the building. Talking about stuff that I never heard people talk about before. Planning, making plans to how they're going to bring each other down. And I certainly went on home. And you know what I did? I held fast to my confession, right? No, I was wavering. <laughs> I went home and said, Dear God, why am I at this job? This job is carnal. This job is worldly. These people are nuts. Why in the world am I working around these folks? But I stuck with it. And stuck with it. Only because God said, stick with it. Because God told me to take it. God didn't actually say stick with it. He just told me to take it. And all that job turned around. We got rid of the manager. Things, uh, you know, the corporate office came on down, fired the manager. We got, we actually ran the store for a while without a manager, and things just turned around. All oh, we, I had a ball at that job. I loved that. That job was so much fun, and it went from being a nasty job into one of the ones that I enjoyed going to work. I went to work so many, sometimes, enjoying it so much. I started way early in the morning and worked until way early the next morning. Eighteen-hour shifts, and loved every minute of it. Loved the whole thing. Didn't even take a break. No break. Ate lunch and things like that is about it. And you're generally doing that on the run while you're doing other stuff. Oh, I had fun with that. But I would have missed it, wouldn't I? I would have lost out. And I'll tell you, I was close. I was real close to just say, you know what? I'm leaving. There's another place. I can just go over here and work over here. Of course, that would have had worldly people in it too. But things turned around and things changed. It wouldn't have if I wouldn't have stuck it out. Sometimes you've got to be in some of these situations and storms come up. But God still wants you to get to the other side. There's, there's something good on the other side. He wants you to get there. But if you start wavering, you start turning the boat around, you're not going to get there. We've got to keep hanging on. Well, the wind, we didn't talk about that yet. The wind represents persecution, which Jesus said we will have. Constantly in the Word of God we see that. Well, as with life, the focus was on the what? The disciples focused on the waves. Why? Because the waves were bringing water into the boat. The wind to them was not the problem. What was the problem? The waves. The waves are bringing water into the boat. The wind isn't a problem. The wind is just there. That's not, it's okay if air is in the boat. <laughs> but water is not good to have in the boat. 
And the waves keep bringing it in. So they are, their focus is on the waves. They are battling the waves. They're trying to keep the waves out of the boat. And when the waves settle in the boat, they're bailing the waves out. Getting rid of it. So they're battling the, the waves. But what caused the waves? There's a cause for waves. There's a reason why waves come up. Wind. Wind causes waves. Waves just don't happen. How many of y'all would like waves to happen sometimes? You go down to the Jersey Shore. I'm speaking from experience here. I've been to, to several places along the coast. The Jersey Shore has the best waves on the eastern seaboard. Maybe you've been to a place that has better ones. I would challenge you. I love Jersey waves. I like them better than Florida waves. I like them better than Carolina waves. I like them better than Virginia waves. I like them better than Maryland waves. I like Jersey waves. They're just better. Most of the time you go, I mean, you, have, you can be entertained in Jersey waves. There are three, four, five foot waves you can go out there. But I'll tell you, once in a while we go out there and we have a day. My son and I, we go into the water and there are no waves. There are no waves. Oh, we're so disappointed. What do you do on a beach with no waves? I know some of you are saying rest and relax and read something. But we came prepared for the waves and so sometimes what will happen is you get the the day before you have a storm that comes through and it rains and we don't mind the rain because we're both smiling because he knows i've taught him well he's and he's learned well and 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 we know from experience that if it rains today guess what happens tomorrow we have waves because we had wind and we get into the shore and sure enough there's some waves and we can be very well entertained all day long in those waves. Wind is what's out there. It's, it's stirring the thing up. It gets the thing going. Well, we cannot speak to the, to the effect of the problem and get results. You can't, you can't just go out there and, and keep dealing with the waves and get results. You can't go into your job and keep dealing with the problem people and get results. You can't keep dealing with your spouse and find those problem areas that are driving you crazy and get results. You can't deal with your neighbors and the things that they do and get results. Because all you're dealing with, all you are fighting is waves. And one after another, after another, after another comes along. I mean, you get that husband to stop doing one thing and what happens next? He starts doing something else. Or else you just start noticing something else. And then you start working on that and then what happens next? He works on something else. He's got something else going on. There'll be wave after wave after wave after wave. That's what disciples were finding on this storm. Wave after wave after wave. And it began to get them to question. began to ask, I'm not sure that we should be here. Why are we here? Why are we battling all this? I'm sure Jesus doesn't care. That's why Jesus is downstairs. We must speak to the source of the problem. What is the source of their problem? The wind. It is the wind that stirs up the waves. That's where that storm even comes from on the Sea of Galilee. The wind comes down from the mountains and it just blows down onto the, onto the sea and churns it up and starts up some nasty storms over there. So Jesus comes and He rebukes the storm the same way He rebukes sickness. He doesn't pray to God, Oh, dear God, please stop this storm. He rebukes it. He said to Him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then He arose and rebuked the wind. What does He do first? He rebukes the wind. He first off deals with the cause of the problem, which is the wind. 
He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. But until he rebuked the wind, it doesn't do any good to keep saying, Peace, be still to the sea. you got to stop the wind. And so he gets up there and he rebukes the wind. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now generally, it takes a little while for that ocean to slow down a little bit. But since he told the seas, Peace, be still, they, they calmed down. But he had to deal with the source first. We've got to deal with the source of our problem and not so much of the ending result. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, folks, a wrong or misdirected hope, it will empty you. It will take away all of your faith. It will empty you of faith and it will fill you with fear. A wrong or a misdirected hope will empty you of faith and it will fill you with fear. And this is what has to happen. When the devil comes along, when the enemy comes along, when whoever it is that's coming along wants to pull you down, they first off misdirect the hope. They get the hope to focus on, on something else. The first off, the hope in your marriage relationship was, God said, told me, he said, this one, marry that one. And so I did. And then other things begin to come in. I begin to see things. And I begin to question, should I really have married this person looking at this thing? And as I begin to talk to other people, they begin to stir it up. They begin to become the wind. And they say, oh, I wouldn't put up with that. Oh, I, that shouldn't be. No, that's not right. And they begin to fan the thing aflame. You go into that job and you see a problem and you begin to talk to a coworker. Can you believe they did that to me? <gasps> they did that to you. They did that to me before too. Oh, it made me so mad. And I thank God, George down there, he said they, had, they did it to him too. <gasps> this place is evil. I know it. Look at it, all these things. And you begin to talk to each other. What are you doing? You're stirring up some wind. Getting that wind going on. Now we've got this, this attitude towards this thing. And once I have that attitude and I come on in with that attitude, doesn't it change the way things are around work? See, a wrong or misdirected hope will empty you of faith. I no longer have faith in the hope that I had. I now have fear. They're going to they're, they're, they're take something from me. They're going to fire me. They're going to take away my benefits. They're going to do this. Fear begins to come on in. A wrong or a misdirected hope will empty you of faith and it will fill you with fear. And this is why we are worked upon to get rid of the hope that God gave us and to just misdirect it into a little bit of a different area. Just move it off into something a little bit, little bit off. What did, did God really say that? Remember all the way back in the garden. Did God really say you shall surely die. Did God really say that? He filled them with a different hope. No, no, no. If you eat of that tree, what will happen? If you eat of that tree, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. He's trying to keep you from that. And a fear comes in. Instead of faith, now we have fear. I'm afraid I'm missing out on something. I'm afraid something's not going to come to me that it should be coming to me. Oh, this isn't good. When our focus is on our problems, that is easier to think that Jesus doesn't care. When you begin to focus on your problems, you begin to very easily think Jesus does not care. When I focus on the sickness, I begin to think Jesus doesn't care. When I focus on the marriage problems, I begin to think Jesus doesn't care. When I begin to focus on other things that aren't going right at the job or lack of a job, I can begin to think Jesus doesn't care. 
He must be sleeping. He must be like it was in the storm over in the bow of the boat, sleeping. Everybody else is doing all the work. Jesus is over there. He's sleeping. I don't think Jesus cares. How many times have we gone into prayer? God, don't you care? I have no job. I'm not making enough money in the job I have. I'm not enjoying my marriage. I'm not enjoying my neighborhood. I have no friends. Don't you care? When our focus is on our problems, it's easier to think that Jesus doesn't care. What are we supposed to be focused on? The hope. The hope. Not focusing on the other stuff. You focus on the other stuff, you waver. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water, came to the boat, and Jesus sees them, they first all get scared. And then when they realize it's Jesus, Peter says, If it's you, let me, bid me to come. And he says, Come on, Peter. And so he comes out. As long as he had his eyes focused on Jesus, he was doing fine. But then he began to look at something else. He began to look around at the waves. And when he started looking around the waves, he began to be filled with fear and began to sink. Nah, don't be doing that. Don't focus on that. Keep focused on Jesus. All you folks get out there and pick on Peter because he sank. Look in, the, look in the mirror. Make sure you're not sinking yourself. See, they had not lost faith in Jesus, but fear had stopped them from moving out in faith. They hadn't lost faith in Jesus. They knew he could still do things, but fear had stopped them from moving out in faith. They needed to move out in faith, not just Jesus. We tend to look at our works and measure our storms by them. Instead, we should look at our storms and measure our faith by them. Don't measure your storms by your works. Look at how much you've worked and look at the storm. I don't deserve this kind of a storm. Look at what I have done. I have been faithful to God. I have been faithfully doing my devotions for two weeks now. I've read through the whole Bible last year. I've been going to church every single Sunday. And this is the thanks I get? I get this kind of a storm? See, we're, we're comparing works with storms. You can't do that. The storm comes upon you to try and de destroy your faith, try and pull you down. Don't let it pull you down. There are storms that can come to your marriage. There are storms that can come to your family. There are storms that can come to your job. There are storms that can come to any hope that God has put down on the inside of you and says, this is for you. This is out there. And you're pursuing it. And there are storms that can come and mess that whole thing up and stir that whole thing. Get it going. Let it measure your faith. Don't sit there and compare your works. And say, oh, but I, but I did this and I did this. and I don't deserve this. Thank God we don't get what we deserve, right? We looked at that before. Godly hope is fulfilled by faith. Godly hope is fulfilled by faith. That's how we fulfill it. Godly hope is fulfilled by faith. Worldly hope. This is real important for you to understand the difference between this. You get this difference down, you'll be, you can pull out a godly hope from anywhere. Godly hope is fulfilled by faith. Worldly hope is fulfilled by works. Worldly hope is fulfilled by works. What happened to the disciples was they went from a godly hope, let us go to the other side, to a worldly hope, let us survive and somehow make it over. And they were working hard to bail out the waves. To get rid of the water. To keep the waves from coming in. They were working hard to try and fulfill that. They had gone from a godly hope to a worldly hope. 
And in doing that, they can get wore out. You can get tired. You can get exhausted because you keep bailing out the waves. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus expected disciples to sit there and play cards. Man, did you see that wave? Whew, that's a good one. <laughs> I mean, when a storm comes up, it calls for action, doesn't it? You can't just sit there. Jesus didn't just sit there when they woke him up and they hadn't taken care of it. He didn't just sit there and say, well, just, you know, just keep going. Don't let that wave scare you. What, that little thing? That wave scared you? Come on. I thought you guys were fishermen. He doesn't do that. What's he do? He uses his faith to speak to the wind, calm it down, and then he speaks to the sea, peace be still. We have started right in many of our areas of hope. We have a godly hope, and we were fulfilling it in faith, but then we let it become misdirected, and it became something different. And instead of God blessed me with this man or woman in this marriage relationship, it became what? I need to change that person so they can become something I need. Something I want. And we're focused back into a works thing. We're not into the faith thing. We're not in a part that says, Father God, I thank you that you gave me that person despite all their faults, despite all their other things here. And you just, just accept them. Godly hope is fulfilled by faith. Worldly hope by works. If you want to get delivered out of whatever it is that comes your way, whatever problem has come up to you, we are delivered by our faith. We are not delivered by our works. We are delivered by our faith, not by our works. Faith does not mean inaction. It means a different kind of action. Works is bailing out the water. Faith is standing on the side of the boat, rebuking the wind. Getting to the source. Taking authority over that. That's what faith will do. As that faith in God. Jesus turns to the disciples after He gets done doing what He really expected them to have done and says, where is your faith? Where'd it go? It was here. When we left on the other side, it was there. But now it's gone. Why are you so fearful? Fear can always replace faith. Not a good replacement. You really don't want to have that, that in there. Just think of it this way. There are some good replacements and there are some bad replacements, aren't there? How many of you all have all had that? Just think of it this way. Think of it, um, uh, you're going to sit on down and you're going to watch a favorite show of yours. You're going to watch a movie maybe. Maybe you rented a movie and you like chips and salsa. And so you got the store brand chips and the store brand salsa, right? Is that a good replacement for Tostitos and whatever your favorite salsa is? Green Mountain is mine too. We started selling that over at Kelsey's Horse Riders, Green Mountain. And oh man, I became a fan right away. Now don't you all go running out to the store and buy it because then it won't be any for me. No, you're going to find it all you want to. But you know, you sometimes go out there and you find just a store brand replacement. It's, it's just not as good. You know, potato chips. How many of y'all like potato chips? Is there a difference between the Gennardi's store brand or hers or Lay's or whatever your favorite chip is? Yeah, there's a difference. That's why they charge more money for those. There's a difference between it. There's something that's better. There's a reason why people charge more for things because people like it better. There's, there's more. But, you know, sometimes, well, I'll just get the replacement. 
I'll just do the replacement. Some of you ladies like to bake. How many of you all bake with real vanilla? How many of you bake with imitation vanilla? Uh, no, nah. Yeah. But I spoke like someone who knows the difference between the two. <laughs> that is not a replacement. <laughs> Boy, there's a difference in taste between one. Now there's a difference in cost. Real vanilla costs a lot more than imitation vanilla. So that's why you're sometimes... But see, there's replacements all over the place. We constantly see replacements and we're always in the decision. Do I want to spend the extra money for the real vanilla or is the imitation vanilla good enough for me? And for everybody, that's going to be a little bit different, isn't it? There's some different different choices we have in it. But there's imitations that are out there. There is a godly hope for whatever it is that you are involved with. But there's also an imitation. And the imitation just comes cheaper. It doesn't cost as much. If you go out and buy tires for your car, can't you get the name brand tires or the... Well, these are just as good as... Right? Have you ever been there to the, to the tire store and here's the brand you had on your car which worked fine and here's... Well, these are just as good as but they cost less. How many of you all went and put the just as good as on the car and found out in the middle of a snowstorm that they're not quite as good as what you had on there before? The imitation didn't come, quite come through. Don't settle for the imitation. Don't settle because, because it's easier. What it did God say? What did God say in His Word? Whatever God said in His Word, this is what you need to hold on to. God said, let us cross over to the other side. Understand, we've told you this many times before because I want you to get this down. Jesus does not say many words. He's not going to give you a paragraph of hope. Generally, He's going to give you a sentence. And it's not a Paulinian sentence. It is a Short sentence. You know what I mean by that. Paul writes these sentences that are carried for several verses before there's a period. It's not one of those kind of sentences. Jesus has six, seven, eight word sentences. Sometimes less. He's short with his stuff. But that's okay. Follow after it. And you may not even be able to understand, why am I, why did you say to do this? Why am I taking this job? Why am I staying here? Why am I going this place? Why am I moving to this neighborhood? Why, why am I doing that? What did God say? Well, God told me that we should do that. Then you hang on to that. You don't let anything else come in. You don't let it be replaced with anything at all. I got a story I want to read for you. This is a story about a very weak and sickly man. He was so sick, he couldn't afford to go into town to even see the doctor. He was that poorly off. He lived in a deep wooded area, way, way back, long way from society in a log cabin. And all the while, his condition just grew worse and worse. Out in the front of his cabin, there was this huge boulder. And the rock was massive. Huge rock. It was right in front of his place. One night, in a very real vision, God told this man, I want you to push on the rock. I want you to push on the rock. So he got up and the next morning it was a really strong, very real vision. And he went out there and he pushed on that rock all morning long, all the way up until lunch. And then he took a little break. And then he went out and he pushed all day until supper time. He was excited about this vision. 
that God had given him. Push on the rock. And so he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And he was so excited that God had given him this vision. He went out for the next number of days, early in the morning, pushed until lunchtime, took a little break, pushed until dinner time. He just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. This went on for days. It went on for weeks. It went on for months. He would get up early, push, 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 take a break at lunch and push, push, push. With everything he had, he pushed on that rock. He pushed on that rock for eight whole months. Every day from morning until lunch and after lunch until supper. And then he began to lose focus a little bit. And he began to think, I have been pushing on this rock for eight months and it has gone nowhere. And he went in his house and he took a tape measure and he measured from his porch out to the rock and then he pushed and pushed and pushed for two solid weeks the same way he had done with the same enthusiasm he had done before. And after two weeks he took the tape measure and he went from the porch and he measured back out to the rock and he found out that the rock had not even moved a 32nd of an inch. It had not moved at all. It was in exactly the same place when he started eight and a half months before. Oh, he was discouraged. And he came, after all this revelation of being opened up, he came and he sat down at his porch and he just cried. He looked at this and said, this is almost nine months I have wasted of my life pushing on this rock because I really thought the vision I had from God was real. Really thought this was right. Well, about that time, Jesus himself came walking out of the woods and sat down next to him on the porch. And he said, why are you so sad? He says, I I just felt that vision was so right and so true. And I pushed and pushed and pushed on the rock. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. But it hasn't moved. It hasn't done a thing. Nothing changed. All this time I put in there. And nothing changed. And he just still was crying. and, And Jesus just reminded him, what was the vision? What were you told to do in the vision? The vision said to push on the rock. What did you do? I pushed on the rock. Did the vision ever say to move the rock? He says, no, the vision never said to move the rock. The vision said to push the rock. And you've been doing that. The man says, yes, I've been pushing the rock every single day. He says, I want you to go and look in the mirror. The man got up, found the mirror, and looked in the mirror. And instead of seeing the weak, straggly man that he had seen before, he saw a strong man who had muscles. And then he began to think back and he says, you know, I haven't been woken up in the middle of the night without coughing anymore. And he realized the vision was not for the rock. The vision was for the man. There is a hope we have been given from God. Every single one of us. Hope in our marriage. Hope in our relationships. Hope in our jobs. Hope in our neighborhoods. Hope for our future. Hope for our money. All kinds of hope. But other things can begin to come in and they replace what God gave us with something else. Just slightly misdirected. Just slightly off. And when we see a lack of success, what we expect in success, we begin to ask all kinds of questions. And the answers will sometimes stop us from doing the thing we were supposed to do. Don't let it. Don't let your faith become misdirected. Understand that your storms are not measured by the works that you have done. Your faith is measured 
by the storms. Don't be discouraged because storms have come to your little uh, Mediterranean Sea, Galilee, Sea of Galilee, wherever it is you're at. It's not a problem that a storm has come up. doesn't mean that you miss God. doesn't mean that there's any problem on your end at all. doesn't mean you married the wrong person. doesn't mean you moved into the wrong neighborhood. doesn't mean you took the wrong job. doesn't mean any of that at all. All it means is a storm has come up. And a storm can be dealt with. But you can deal with a storm in faith or you can deal with a storm in works. If you stay with the godly hope, you'll win when you deal with it in faith. When you go after it worldly, you'll get discouraged. You'll ask questions you shouldn't be asking and you'll get answers that aren't going to help you. Don't do it. Father God, this is what you said for me to do. You told me to marry that person. You told me to take that job. I'm going to stay with it because you said. You told me to love that person. I'm going to keep on loving them. You didn't tell me that they had to love me. You told me that I was to love them. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what you said. I'm going to follow the path that you said to follow. And you know what? By faith, I will, I can, and I shall get it done. We are delivered, folks, by our faith. We are not delivered by our works. Boy, if we were delivered by our works, how many of us would have been delivered long ago? Works can wear you out. But faith strengthens you. Fear chases out faith. But there's no need for fear when you're in faith. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, we thank you so much. It is so good to be alive and to live for you. We know that every person here some point sometime has followed after something you have given them to do a place you had told them to go a thing you had said accomplish and along the way storms came and for some of us father those storms discouraged us and we didn't cross over to the other side we didn't do the fulfillment of what it is that you said to do but i thank you father there's forgiveness for past failures and we can learn from them but we're here now to move on and to keep on going to hold fast that hope that we have the confession of our hope, we will not let go. We will not waver on it, knowing that He who promised is faithful. Is faithful. Thank you, Lord Jesus.